The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is something of a pre-season meander. And to take a stroll through the happenings at the Arsenal, I'm joined by Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning. Good morning. Morning, Adrian. Well done for turning up on time after spending all day at the cricket yesterday. (laughs) That's very, very impressive, I must say. Because we all know how much drinking goes on at the cricket, because we've heard about moaning about it. Yeah, I did partake in in, in one or two, um, as you have to do. And I I was not in the sun. This is how pasty I am. I was not in the sun all day. My stand was in the sort of shade. Yeah, I've come home sunburned. I mean, how does that happen? I don't. I just can't explain it. I actually don't know how that happened, seeing as you weren't (laughs) in the sun all day. I got burnt badly once in Manchester at the cricket, and I think my missus had trouble believing that I was actually in Manchester, to be honest. But anyway, um, pre-season has begun. We all have our routines. Um, We were wondering at Handbrake Off what your particular pre-season routine is. Amy, I mean, I was saying to you, I'm desperate for the football season to start. And I I don't really have a routine for pre-season, aside from just praying that summer is over and just watching the tennis thinking, oh, enough of this nonsense. Uh, do you have a particular pre-season routine? I mean, I mean, you obviously you've got the journalism thing as well. Do you reel off a couple of pieces just and go, right, well, that's, we don't need them, you know, and start. How, how do you get going for the season? <laughs> cool, that's a leading question. Um, <laughs> I have to say things have changed a lot. I, I, I It's probably a sign of age, but um, I do remember when I first started doing this for a job, which still seems like a miracle in the mid uh, early to mid nineties. And when the football season stopped, it was, we, we sort of had an unofficial holiday. It was most extraordinary. Unless it was a world cup or a European championship. And those are alternate years. They sort of used to say, look, just, you know, clear off for a bit and we'll, we'll touch base with you if you need it, which seems risible <laughs> today when the appetite for, you know, any news regarding the club or any tidbit or any speculation is relentless 365 days a year. I think it seems eminently sensible, to be honest with you, for a few weeks just to get a little break. But that was no, four weeks ago. No, those days are gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, uh, I definitely think there's something, it's a bit like the seasons, like as in not football seasons, but as in sort of winter, summer. Actual kind of seasons. Stuff. Actual, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> It depends. <laughs> hmm. um, I think the seasons that everyone else that. lives by. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But <clears throat> I, I'm still struggling a bit with this absence of a World Cup. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a kind of inbuilt patterns would kind of be expecting a big summer tournament around now. So it's slightly odd having that absence. But yeah, I mean, obviously we've got to keep a track of things that's what's going on. And I think there are some journalists who come into their own with transfer info it's their kind of raison d'etre and when there's this desperation to have info and knowledge and be first and be uh, the ones who get the facts straight and all that stuff that's not me (laughs) no (laughs) i would rather just be told when there's transfers coming or happening and otherwise just try and chill for a bit because it is pretty intense when the season's on you know It, it it is you think about it obviously that much more because you know we live by the kind of punctuation marks of each game and that those rhythms 
of a match and then the aftermath and then looking forward to the next one. And, you know, that goes on for nine months or whatever. But uh, I quite like the breather, I have to say. <laughs> Much yeah, more than yeah. maybe I used to. I feel like I need it more. So, yeah, I'm happy chilling. And then pre-season games are weird because you kind of think, do you go and see them or not? Or do you watch them or not? Or do you pay any attention to them or not? And um, I used to really love pre-season games because going back to childhood, you were desperate to see the players because you didn't see anything. You didn't have a kind of um, new kit drop to get excited about or some gossip to keep you going. It really was like, Football fans can just piss off for a bit, and it's cricket and <laughs> tennis. But <laughs> enjoy your summers. That's right. Go down yeah, to but, the, or but obviously life's not like that anymore. So no, um, it's not. But I don't like to take preseason games with too much. We'll uh, get to that. <laughs> although I, although I'll always remember seeing the Makita International Trophy in 1989 when, uh, when Brian Marwood joined, and I think we beat Aston Villa four 0 and Bayern Munich three 0 something like that, and. Uh, promptly went off and put money on us to win the league at 16 to 1. That must have been 88 <laughs> then, summer of 88. There you go. Um, so yeah, sometimes they really matter these pre-season games. Sometimes they do. Adrian, of course, you played the game. Mm. Uh pre-season was essentially um running the beer weight off, wasn't it really? The first couple of weeks. <laughs> it kind of was, yeah. You you were weighed relentlessly really every day. <laughs> you were really? weighed in and yeah. weighed out. If you're being weighed, is there like a uh, 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 pressure is there a criticism you know or is it just functional do you know do you get the feeling that if you were a bit over oh yeah yeah you, if you're a bit over people who are doing it are reacting to you definitely yeah yeah it really was but Good some man, of the lads right? found cheat cheat codes because because at arsenal at london <laughs> colney we had the um the old-fashioned scales the really old-fashioned ones and they I think if you put your finger on, you know, they were little, little, little cheats where they could adjust it, which was quite clever. Um, but no, you were judged definitely. And, and, and I think I got... that's right, isn't it? Yeah. In the end, because you are professionals, and yeah. and we want them. I, I remember talking about Cristiano Ronaldo once coming back from pre-season fifteen grams heavier than when he left. Right <laughs> now, obviously, nobody, no one is like Cristiano Ronaldo. We all understand that, but mm. you have a responsibility, right, as a player, to uh, to basically turn up in some sort of reasonable condition yeah some players didn't do anything back in the day I did a couple of weeks of runs and stuff and sit-ups and press-ups just to sort of make sure I didn't embarrass myself but I was young and skinny at this time and I weighed about 11 stone so it wasn't an issue if anything I wanted to be heavier because you know I wanted them to think that I was strong enough to play for the first team but yeah as I got older I've got to say pre-season when you had the weigh-ins I would dread it and they, you know, they'd look at you and say, yeah, you've been out, haven't you? You've been out a lot this summer. And, and they did the fat f- fat count and all this nonsense. And um, yeah, and when I, when you've gone from being the skinny one to being one of the ones that they're looking at and thinking, mm, the old fat percentage is a bit high, Clark. You need to get that off. So yeah, it was... Um, yeah, filled me with dread really this time of year. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? As a fan, I have to say, good. That is the mm. idea, really. We yeah. want you fit and healthy and running You're getting about. Getting paid, aren't you? You're getting paid. You are getting to paid be now, of course. So. Now, of course, they're getting paid an enormous amount of money. So we want them to be at their best. But they're getting back into it. Pre-season did get underway last week. Arsenal played Ipswich Town in a their first game, one-five-one. Um, I mean, we don't really 
take any stock with any of this, do we? It's just getting them running about again, Amy, isn't it, to be honest? Yeah, I mean, I think if you wanted to kind of go to town in analysing anything statistically or tactically or whatever, I mean, it's such a mixed team. You only needed to take a look at the lineup and see half a dozen that you wouldn't expect to be too high in Mikel Arteta's plans for the season and probably people who have an eye or or most of two eyes sort of on the exit door. So there must be an element of going through the message. It must be a bit strange when people sort of trickle back at different times. I'm sure it's not that easy to, you know, when we're talking about these tiny percentages of fine tuning, to have people coming back in slightly different states and at slightly different times and to kind of get the orchestra to all crescendo at the same time to be ready for the opening note is um, it's probably you know quite it's probably quite fiddly. You know what? Uh, I remember when we had a four-month break from stand-up when the first pandemic happened and we all came back and did some gigs and it was it was incredibly ropey and you wouldn't <laughs> want... It was. It was because mm. none of us sort of could remember quite how to do it. It was nice in the... I have to be honest, the fun part was being in the dressing room and being with your mates again. And I imagine, Adrian, mm. that's, that is really the fun part. You come back and reconnect with the team. You might have a couple of mates in the team who you would have seen this summer, but I imagine a lot of the time you're with your family and your other friends and then suddenly you're back in that team environment. It does take a bit of getting used to, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And that is the best bit. Yeah, we had a re real good laugh and you sort of catch up over what's gone on this summer. But but touching on what, what you were just talking about with that lineup against Ipswich, there were so many players in different situations. A lot will feel completely at home, really, really excited about the season and being part of Mikel Arteta's plans. Others are effectively training for themselves um, because they know that, that really they could have, they could score two against Ipswich, you know, notch against Nuremberg and be the man of the match and they probably still won't go on the tour or they could have a great tour and they know that they'll be either going on loan or, or sold before the before the transfer window ends and, and a number of those players that played in that game probably feeling that way so it's, it's an odd time um, but you've got to just do what you've got to do to, to get yeah. yourself in prime condition for that first game of the season whether you're here or whether or you're somebody. playing for for somebody else, so yeah, it's a it's an odd time, um, yeah. But I've done I do a breakdown special really for for Arsenal pretty much every season, so I have to watch the preseason games, have to sort of take notes, pick out what's new, what's different, how the new boys are doing, anything, what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well, etc. And none of it really means that much <laughs> because three <laughs> games in, three games in, yeah. everything looks completely different or it certainly did last year. It did last year, didn't it? <laughs> to be fair. I mean, I mean, in that lineup, there's a couple of players. This actually is quite interesting. I think, you know, we were looking at Hector Bellerin played in that game. Reese Nelson played in that game. Nicola Pepe played in that game. We haven't had Bert Leno, by the way, played in that game. We've spent quite a lot of time over the past few weeks, Amy, talking about the players that we want to bring in. But, there are also players that we want to shift out. Hector Bellerin, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's pretty obvious he doesn't want to be there now. He wanted to stay in, in Spain, didn't he, really? We haven't had any offers yet, and it's uh, and it's only going to get more um, difficult as time goes on and we get towards the end of the window. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big uh, gap going on between the sort of high-end, most sought-after players, where it's very much a seller's market. So, you know, if you've got Rafinha then you're the one who, uh, you know, can call the shots about what happens and keep clubs on strings and so on. But at the kind of end of the market where 
for whatever reason, with a, uh, certainly a lot of the names you mentioned, there'd be players on very handsome salaries, which make it more difficult for any uh, suitor to match that or better that and possibly throw in a transfer fee when, you know, money's tight in a lot of places in, in the game. So that is where it's a, a buyer's market, I think, because there's not that huge competition. And I think if you were interested in in buying Bayerin or, or Torreira or Leno or Maitland-Niles uh, as another club, unless you're like absolutely desperate to get them in, you probably wait. Because the longer it goes on, the closer it gets to the end of the window, the more Arsenal are going to have to compromise. And that means letting someone go for nothing or a loan where they end up, you know, part of the, the, the salary is being paid, you know, a deal that's less beneficial to Arsenal. Amy, sorry, yeah. just sorry to interrupt, but just on that point, I always thought that it was better to get the, the, the all the business done early. And yes, but it's not, Arsenal can't do that business unless a bid comes in that's an acceptable bid no. to both player and club. Oh, no, but I'm talking about the club that, let's say, a club wants to buy Ainsley Maitland-Niles, right? And and they've identified him as filling in a particular gap in their uh, in their team. You'd have thought they want to get the, the business done early as well. Yeah, but it's everybody not- has a price. Listen, when you go into... Uh, when there's any player on the table for any club, right, the situation is that the interested club uh, have a discussion between the, the management of the football side and the management of the business. And they say, OK, we're interested in X... What are we prepared to pay and how much can we commit to salary? And they come up with a valuation that is suits them because it's an open market. Yeah. So it's not like going to the shops and, you know, the jumper costs forty nine ninety nine, and you, you take it or leave it. You don't go in there and say and haggle with... I'll you give know, you the, my old jumper for fourteen ninety nine, and then we can yeah, cut yeah, a deal yeah. on the rest, yeah. It tends not to work like that too often. So, shame though, isn't it? Isn't it yeah. a shame? I think it'd be great if it worked that way. Yeah, yeah the old sort of... Uh, I like haggling. What can I tell you? <laughs> players for a load of tracksuits and, you know, all bottles of whiskey and stuff. That's that's ancient history. But, yeah. but you know, fundamentally, that you know, if you... To use the maintenance Niles um, example, a, player, a, a club, yes, they'd like to get their business done early, but they will also have a figure in mind that, yes. that, that they can handle to bring him in. And it may be that that figure is, is going to be less, you know, it's going to be, it's going to feel a bit cheeky, but it's more maybe what they can afford. So they, they know that if they wait, there, ha- there has to be some player movement. There has to be some players out the door for Arsenal. And in the end, they've shown in the last few years, which I kind of admire, a willingness to sort out, if you like, a, 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 a not needed or not wanted player anymore. Whether that yeah. means paying them off or coming to some sort of agreement. You know, they've realised that having people around that aren't going to be playing much or are going to not be in the in the unity gang, um, that's, not, that's not what Arteta wants at all. So... The fantasy for Arsenal is that they can generate, you know, enough money from all those players put together that they want to sell to go and buy someone else who's really good. That would be but nice. the reality might be that they have to take some hits. I hope not, because obviously it hugely helps the club if they can get a couple of good deals going. But selling players hasn't been the forte in, in recent years. Adrian, would you agree? I, I I totally agree with Amy there. I I like the fact that they have let players go and sometimes paid them off because I think it's better for team unity. But you know, we we know our owners can afford it, so we think okay, uh, we'll take the hit. 
Yeah, I get it. Yeah, because they were earning an awful lot of money, these guys. And the sooner you get them off the wage bill, you end up saving that cash. Yeah, it, it, it's... The, the thing is, Arsenal don't want to sell players while they're hot, while they're on their way up, because while they're hot and on their way up, they want them. So so it, it's inevitable that it's players that have stagnated, gone a bit stale, that, that are the ones they're looking to offload. And, and, and that's where you can't really command command the big money, I'm afraid. No. Dan, Dan Ballard is a great example, actually. I don't know what Sunderland paid Arsenal for, for Daniel Ballard, but in championship terms, he was the guy... A lot of clubs wanted because he's proven himself at championship level. He's an asset. They know it and they know what his worth is. And 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 there were a number of clubs in for Dan Ballard. And in the end, I'm sure Arsenal got a, de- got a decent deal for him. But um, but yeah, for the other guys, like a Pablo Mari, <laughs> they're going to struggle, aren't they, to, to, to generate a big fee, I think. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, Gabriel Jesus is finally uh, signed as an Arsenal Ooh. player. Um, big signing for Arsenal. I know we've talked about this before. Photographed on the roof of the stadium in an open arm pose in a sort of, I guess it, they were going for a Christ the Redeemer type vibe. Um, I mean, I don't know. Is Do this, you think? Well, well, I think they were. Uh, is this uh, redemption? Does this mean redemption from the post-Venger years, uh, Adrian? I mean, is this what this is all about? Or should I not think too deeply about it? No, nah, it's just it's just Stuart <laughs> the photographer. It's Stuart it's the photographer thinking we got Gabriel Jesus, um, Brazilian player. Let's let's recreate that. And and yeah, it's um, they've talked about putting me up there to do some filming. I can't, I can't wait to get up there. Great, I'd um, love to have a little look on the roof. Be amazing. Yeah, new profile pic, definite. If I'm getting up there, but it was it was great, wasn't it? I, I really like the one that was that was sort of who's facing the pitch. Um, no, it's it's a, it's a great signing, I think, and yeah, it's it, it, yeah, next it level. gets us going, doesn't it? Yeah, next, it's a, next level. Really, it's a player that's proven in the Premier League, that's coming into his peak years, that's coming off the back of winning the title, so and playing quite a significant part in helping Manchester City win the title. So, it, yeah, it's a stellar acquisition, no doubt about it. It is. Uh, Amy, we've talked about Gabriel Jesus. It is another level for us. He's 25 years old, as Adrian said. He's a Premier League winner and he's got something to prove as well, hasn't he? Um, and there was talk, there was quite a lot of talk about what his best position is. Um, he says he's a number nine. We want him to play number nine, don't we? Or is it still with Mikel Arteta a bit more interchangeable? Yeah, I was wondering whether there was a little bit of... Um... PR arm around the shoulder thing, like it would be really useful if you would say that. <laughs> I was wondering, well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Sorry. To, but I mean, you know, it's definitely what everybody needs to hear. And I think yeah. you hear him turn around and say, I'm here to score goals and think, yes. Good. That's, we need one of them. That's the trick, you know, that's the ticket. So, yeah. uh, you know, I hope that those sentiments are really sincere. Um, Are you excited by it? I, I've got to be honest. You know that I'm a ridiculous optimist and all the rest of it, but I am. A, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Hang that. on. Hang. On. Can, can, just, just, can I ask you a question? As the ridiculous yeah. optimist of the mm. uh, of this particular pod, um, how many goals are you uh, hoping for from him this season, Ian? Forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> At higher or lower? <laughs> I'd, listen, if he gets twenty goals a season, by the way, I think that is a successful. I mean, he's a striker, and I'd like to see him get twenty goals a season. I genuinely think he could. Because is that twenty I, goals all competition or twenty goals Premier League? 
Oh, Premier League goals is what I'm talking about, really. I think I think we're talking about Premier League goals here. If he gets 20 in the Europa League, listen, Nicola Pepe got about <laughs> six in the Europa League didn't he, a couple of years ago. So, no, I'm talking about Premier League goals. What do you think? If, if he scores 15 and makes eight, then then that's that's also successful in of a sort, isn't it? Because I think he's not just been brought in to, to score. I think he, he will create, or I, I would certainly expect him to create you know, seven, eight, nine, ten goals this season. I think, I think, I think he's got that in his in his armory. I just think with the five sub rule coming in, we need the ability to say, right, off you come, son, and bring on two strikers to change the game up. And at the moment, we've only got Jesus and Nketiah, and Jesus is a is a question mark on on how badly he really wants to be a proper number nine. So yeah, I still think. We have to do it. I know I keep banging the drum for this, but I, I still think I would be really, really down in the dumps if when this window closes, we haven't brought in another striker. I just think that the five sub rule just yeah exaggerates the importance of um, of having another front man. I mean- do, you, do you remember in the kind of classic Wenger era when... If there was a game that Arsenal were losing, he would just throw on forward after forward after forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, I, don't like, I didn't never like, like that. Start no. off with, you know, with Henri and Bergkamp and, uh, mm. you know, Perez is out there and maybe Young, <laughs> and then he'd throw on Will Tour as well. And then Carnu, and, you know, <laughs> invariably it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it really did. You know, the, the kind of strategists and analysts might have had some heart attacks had the, that side of the game been so advanced then. But from just the point of view of getting able technicians and goal scorers and creators out there on, Quality the, on the, in pitch. the massive overload. Exactly. It, it, it had well, something about it. And I think that yeah. um, Adrian is more than 100% right. It feels like going into a season like this with, with two nominal strikers is... is sort of dangerously underplaying the importance of of options of you know pure, some pure goal scorers we're not we're not counting Martinelli here Adrian I mean we had this discussion last week with Amy and uh, and and James and I said you know I'm I, I'm so I looked at Man City's squad and compared it to ours in terms of numbers seven seven or eight defenders seven or eight midfielders and three strikers and the three strikers they had last year were Mares Sterling and Jesus and I'm I'm not saying that you know Enketia, Jesus, and Martinelli is the same as that, but I'm I'm just saying what Arteta's trying to do. Mm. Um, we if we're only playing with one striker, we don't really want four strikers sitting there, do we? To to well, do do, do you want Gabriel Jesus playing? You know, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, Thursday. Probably probably you don't. Um, so that means Eddie will play on the Thursdays at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, then there's an injury or suspension. I mean, guys, so one of them's going to pull a hamstring. You know? One of them could pull a hamstring, can't they? Just well, like maybe that. Maybe they won't, says the Someone will tread on maybe. their foot and they'll get get a broken toe or something. And they'll be out yeah. for five weeks. It, it, I just, and I, also, and I know I said this previously, but I just think having the option of, of a different type of front man, just, just when you come up against a team that are weak in the air, for example... Amy was. Amy said this last week that it's okay. Yeah. You Sorry, can be regular listeners, we're like land, a scratch record on here. Land of the midgets if you're Man City is uh-huh. what she said, <laughs> but not if you're us. And I'm, we get that, and I'm sure there's still there's still some movement that may happen. Exactly. 
In midfield, by the way, um, just briefly about Yuri Tielemans. We've agreed terms with him, as I understand it, but we, as I understand it, as I heard on the radio, I believe, <laughs> we've agreed terms with him, but we haven't put in a bid for him. It, it's a sort of weird situation, Amy, isn't it? That that mm. Do we want the player? Do we want the player? What's... What's your view of what's going on? Do you think it's called with him or do you think that we might still be interested? Well, I think it's the juggling balls scenario where, you know, uh, sensibly Arsenal uh, have to keep a bunch of balls in the air. You've got the ones that you want to keep moving and the ones that are slightly less important, but ones that you desperately don't want to drop, which included Gabriel Jesus, obviously. And, you know, possibly Rafinha, but that's one that's sort of looks like it's gone away. Uh, Lissandro Martinez looks tricky. You know, there is a finite amount of spendable money, especially as we mentioned that the sales are not necessarily bolstering the kind of income side of things. So maybe the Tielemans situation is exactly that, which is if the prime targets can can be got, then maybe it's not going to happen for Tielemans. And if the prime targets can't be got... Then uh, you know, it, 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 working on the slight assumption that he's not desperate to leave Leicester, and there aren't twenty clubs knocking at the door trying to get him right now. Um, they're perhaps hoping that that's one that they can keep on the boil until they know a bit more how the other possible purchases are well, going. Ma- Manchester United's agreement with Christian Eriksen could be significant in the. <laughs> Would they really want to then go out and sign Tielemans, who's another sort of attacking midfield player? He, he's someone that was linked with them. So it probably strengthens our, our position on Tielemans. Yeah, I, I would just like us to get that done because a central midfield upgrade is is of paramount importance. I'd, I'd, I'd put that as the joint top priority. I think if we, if we don't get that third striker and we don't get a quality central midfielder, then even though we have signed Gabriel Jesus and and some other really talented young players, it would still feel like we've missed a trick. We've missed what we really needed. So, Uh, And Adrian, uh, you also uh, mentioned Milinkovic-Savic as Mm. well. Um, I mean, where's he playing at the moment? Uh, He's at Lazio. Yeah. 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 He's been there a long time. They love him. Um, I was looking, you know, know the player. He's always linked with Premier League, but he's clearly happy, happy enough at Lazio. He's a bit of a hero there. He is the guy that is box to box, breaks into the area, and and, and scores goals. I, I think the last time he failed to get seven league goals was fifteen sixteen. So in every season since, he's got at least seven league goals. I think he got eleven. Last season, he's strong in the air, physically powerful, um, but he's older. He's 27. 27, and th- yeah. And I think that Lazio want 60 million or something like that. And, and that's a lot of money for a 27-year-old who, when he comes to the end of his contract, will be worth next to nothing because he'll be on big money as well. So That's the Arsenal way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it has been the Arsenal way. <laughs> but I do understand the reticence to pay that money. But, but stylistically... I think it would be a, a good acquisition if we, if we couldn't get Tielemans. They'd, they'd, they'd both contribute with their passing, with their energy, with their, their quality, and they'd both contribute goals. Um, but Tielemans is the sort of probably more astute signing because... Premier the, League experience. And and probably a little bit more sell-on value All right. later uh, another, another Another little one for our collection. 
Have little ones. Well, Malika bit savage. Is he a little fella? No, Tielemans. Oh, Tielemans. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, well, right. yes. I, I, I mean, this is the drum that you can bang from oh, which you okay. want. You want. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because you did write a piece which we will talk about about Carnu, who was, of course, massive, uh, and we will talk <laughs> about that. Although I don't remember him winning many headers. I'll be honest with you, but we'll talk about uh, about that in a second. One more thing. Before we talk about uh, Carnu, and I'll tell you why we'll talk about him in a minute, Premier League clubs and championship clubs have announced that safe standing areas will be allowed from the start of this season. There were um, Man City, Chelsea, I think it was Manchester United and Spurs, and Cardiff City as well, said they were going to go with safe standing. Amy, I know as you as a fan had the same experience I did. You go onto the North Bank, you're amongst this swaying mass of people. It's not going to be quite like that. Would you like to see safe standing at Arsenal? Very much so. I think it was a, a rite of passage for you know most of us when you're a kid and you're then an older, slightly old enough to to go into that situation. And like you say, not not identical, but I think it will bring a different vibe, a different energy, uh, and be an important moment for particularly younger supporters. I know that it's a slightly more complicated one for Arsenal. Some clubs are going to find it a lot easier to transform areas of their ground simply and effectively because uh, they might have built stadiums more recently and kind of factored in that possibility. Arsenal apparently will actually lose some seats, which I don't quite get, but I th- it's maybe something to do with the gradients. and it's shallow, uh, isn't it? The way that yeah, the, the steps yeah. go back, much shallower than some. And you can imagine that for standing, if you're a t- kid... You need you needed the difference in those steps to maybe. Oh, be yeah, although to be fair, where where our season tickets are, um, mm. North Bank lower, people stand a lot of the time anyway. There's kids and big people and not so big people, and <laughs> you do that thing where you have to bob your head around and see you know see past someone sizable in front of you, or the kids maybe stand up on their seat uh, to compensate. But I think it's really an encouraging sign, and I think if done in the best possible way in terms of whereabouts it is in the ground, ideally behind a goal lower tier. It goes some way to kind of reconnecting with the sort of soul and spirit that, that grounds had back in the day. And I hope Arsenal uh, you know, can find a way to introduce that trial sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, Adrian. I mean, that sort of really sums it up, doesn't it? Really, we we it, it does add a certain element. I mean, the fans stand at either end anyway at uh, the Emirates now, and uh, and and I must say, when I watched the Tottenham game last season, and I was in um, uh, um, where was I? I was in the clock end, and uh, it, the 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 excitement uh, of standing was it just made the whole experience. Even better, I think. Yeah, no, it does. And it, it will generate better atmospheres. I think when people are standing up, they're more likely to to start belting out the songs than they are when they're when they're sitting down. So yeah, and I also think it gives um, clarity to to the fan like that's buying the ticket. It's like because because I years ago, probably before I started working at Arsenal regularly as I do now, I remember taking my son when he was probably only eight or nine. I think we were in the clock end. It was really annoying when everyone stood up when the ball was coming towards you because he couldn't see anything. Yeah. But so what as a parent now I wouldn't choose to to go in that safe standing area with a with an 8, 9, 10, 11 year old. I'd wait until they were bigger. So yeah, it it gives you that sort of um that clarity as, as a purchaser of a, of a ticket. But I think for for the players, for the noise inside the ground, it would it would definitely be a plus and you'd know that 
yeah, th- those tickets will be snapped up just no like that. Doubt. So many people want to stand, yeah. No doubt. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Um, we've talked about what's happening right now. The Athletic also running a series of Premier League Golden Games, the 50 best games a player has had from, uh, according to what I've got written here, 309,949 options. Uh, Players cannot appear more than once. Otherwise, as Abby has written here, and she's right, it will be just Thierry Henry 25 times. But, Amy, you wrote this week uh, about a certain Wentworth Carnu and his amazing hat-trick against Chelsea. I read the piece this morning. It was a lovely little wallow and wander down memory lane. I mean, there's certain bits that I love about this. The fact that you um, got told off in the the press box. Before we hear more, uh, let's get Amy to read an extract from her piece. So much about Carney seemed to defy belief quite apart from the technical wizardry that enabled him to do things so wondrously out of the ordinary. Watching him play football at times felt extra special because it was a miracle he was playing at all. Three years previously, as reigning African Footballer of the Year, a serious heart defect was diagnosed and doctors feared for his career. Arsenal took extra precautions and guided him on a tour of Harley Street doctors before signing this most unusual talent. Kanu looked like he was built for the high jump, yet in his gargantuan-sized 15 boots, his footwork was intricate enough he could probably have casually painted a masterpiece with a brush between his toes. So, let's gather some of the elements that elevate the performance to greatness. Let's start by throwing a last-minute winner into the hat. Add the twisting plot of a comeback. For background, a filthy day with teeming rain, a difficult, sodden pitch and the bitter loathing of a local rivalry. On top of that, a match winner of rare invention and creativity. Sometimes just one of these things is enough to elevate a game. This one had it all. Well, it's broken uh, Carnu's way and Dehu is right out of the centre. It's Carnu, what's he going to do? Oh! Can you believe it? He's flattened Chelsea. He's hit a hat-trick at Stamford Bridge. I know how much fun you had there. Uh, Amy, I mean, it was a ridiculous 15 minutes, essentially. Very wet pitch, as I remember. Soaking, I mean, the ball was holding up, wasn't it? it I mean, it was. There was, uh, I watched back uh, for the, you know, to prepare uh, a bit more about writing this piece. I watched back the full game, and there's an absolutely brilliant moment not too long before Carney starts scoring where uh, one of the Chelsea players plays a back pass back to uh, Ed De Hoy who comes out of his area to clear this back pass and it, it, his foot goes through the ball and with it sort of like, you know, like when you're with motorway spray on a <laughs> car windscreen, there's this kind of, whoosh, uh, like his foot goes straight through the water and uh, there's 
just like just a ridiculous amount of of, of kind of splashback. Um, <laughs> yeah, not you, what you and call it's almost like conditions. it's almost like a precursor. You're like, aye, aye, you know, anything can happen here. It definitely had that kind of feeling about it. And there was another moment I enjoyed where Dennis Wise, Chelsea had a free kick. They're two 0 up at this point, by the way, and uh, they haven't conceded a goal at home all season, and it's October, and. Uh, they have a free kick and one of the Chelsea players just hoiks it straight out into touch. Dennis Wise is fuming and he's smashing his f- finger against his temple. Like, concentrate, you know, we're tuning up here, don't be stupid. But um, knowing that the, there was that slight kind of unpredictability element of, even though they were looking pretty in control of the game, it was a wild game. Nobody had control for more than three seconds. No. You know, some no, of that ball then, because it had a bit of London derby sort of edge anyway, and this ridiculous uh, weather conditions. And it just made for a, a, a match that felt... It, you could see why, even at 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go, Chelsea didn't feel safe, even though they should have done. Because it was just just volatile. It was unusual. And also, then you throw Carno into the mix, and he just was a unique footballer. He was a unique footballer. Uh, also, by the way, I, I should set this. You set the scene a little bit in the piece as well, where you say it was squeezed between Barcelona and Fiorentina in the Champions League at Wembley when we went to Wembley to see if we had the fan base to build the Emirates. Is essentially what David Dean said, and we got spanked by Barcelona four two. Little masterclass, really. And then Fiorentina and um, and Batistuta scored that unbelievable goal. Uh, when he walloped, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit that hard at Wembley as well. So it was in between those games, and we went there. We didn't have Patrick Vieira in midfield, but Adrian, one of the things that uh, Amy mentioned in the piece were the forwards that we had at our disposal. You're talking about our team right now and our lack of forward line uh, talent. Amy uh, in the piece mentioned that we had Dennis Bergkamp, uh, Thierry Henry, Davos Suker, and Carnu. Uh, playing for us there's uh, that would do for the moment wouldn't it really that's a quartet isn't it yeah exactly <laughs> and you, you need you can't have enough players that that are good at scoring goals you really can't it's uh, it's the hardest thing about football is, is is having people that that are clinical in the moments that matter and and I just think you've got to have three or four I, I would love four I really would but yeah. I, I he, he was unlucky, wasn't he, Carnu, as an Arsenal player? That was his kind of prime time, 1999-2000. That first season and a half, I thought he was just just fabulous, just so entertaining, such a good player, scored a variety of goals. And, but then Henri came came good, didn't he? And and kind of blew blew him away. And, and then he became this bit part player. But Good yeah, guy was, to have in the dressing room, though, right? I mean, he seemed likeable. like such a... Yeah. Such a likable, positive character. Yeah. I would yeah. say optimistic. In fact, yeah, as well. I, a happy, a happy person. I think, and and also what what he had, and this quality is is kind of underappreciated. I think by a lot of managers because managers want to know what they're going to get out of their players. They want to have guys they can rely on. But what sometimes that that creates, you know, a little bit of of, of boringness, doesn't it? In terms of you. you no one's got those sort of unique individual qualities and and he had that and he had that ability to just make something happen out of nowhere 
which you know you can't say that for for every player. Not every goal scorer, not every top level footballer has that ability to produce moments that no one saw coming. And and Kanu definitely definitely had that in abundance. He was worth he was worth the frustration, I think, at times of of you know not delivering for a couple of games because in the next one he he'd turn the match on its head. That was the X factor of Kanu because he had this capacity to to do exactly what you didn't expect. So I think particularly if you were, you know, an opposing defender or manager or whatever, it's not a case of saying, show him onto his left foot or show him inside or go tight or give him, you know, that there's that there was nothing that you could do particularly to kind of mitigate as an opponent what he might do because he so often chose and had the tremendous vision and dexterity to to do something that you completely didn't expect at any given moment. The touch could be the one that you weren't banking on. He'd love the a flick over likely. the defender, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. my goodness. You know. <laughs> I think he did it to Luke Young. He did it to Luke Young at White Hart yes. Lane. That was, that was joyous. Do you know what? When I think of Kanu, apart from that third goal at Chelsea, which obviously none of us will ever forget, it, it's going round goalies. That's what I think of when when I think of Carnu. Just sitting a goalkeeper on the seat of their pants. Well, Deportivo. Deportivo, yeah. when he basically just didn't touch the ball until the last <laughs> moment before he put it in. We've all <laughs> talked about them on here before. That particular game, though, uh, uh, Amy, that you wrote about. And by the way, uh, younger listener, if you don't know that game, it is worth having a look at it because I think what Amy said was right. It was wild. There was something... It was perfect for Kanu because the whole thing seemed unpredictable. You didn't know what was going to happen next. No one was in control. And then suddenly Kanu takes control of that game and scores three goals. The third of which, by the way, well, Arsene Wenger looked like a child afterwards, didn't he, really, in that press conference? Oh, he sort of looked like a child. He also looked sort of spaced out. (laughs) That was the brilliant thing. Everyone was looking at each other afterwards like... As if he'd seen a UFO or something. It was like, what was that? Like, how did that happen? And I think even Arsene had that slightly uh, awe-inspired look about him, which was sweet because he didn't have that very often. But again, even he was like, it was an impossible chance. Like, I wasn't, you know, you don't expect him to shoot from there. But But it wasn't a chance, (laughs) was it? You know, my favourite bit, though, is when you watch it back and the ball gets played out to him and it's a really bad pass. Terrible. Um, and and uh, uh, Martin Tyler commentating goes, oh, oh, Kanu didn't want it there, you know, <laughs> like, and then, oh, actually, no problem. <laughs> and he closes down Albert Ferrer and uh, wins the ball back. Out comes Ed Hoy and uh, leaves him on his backside. This, yes, his but backside. it was the way he did it. He did it. He did it very gently. He did it very slowly. It was just this little subtle drop of the shoulder, and oh, he's gone. And then he just walked the other way past him. With through through the small you know the small lake that was falling on the, there was that uh, as well the pitch the like line. you said and then you know to then the ball goes past Desai and and uh, Frank Leboeuf World Cup winning set to halves and leaves them in a head spin and kind of arrows disbelief. into the roof of the net it was just uh, it's um, what you said Amy that that disbelief that everyone had it's why you love had. football it's, it's why, why you love, you love sport yeah. because yeah. things happen that aren't supposed to happen. And Kanu had that ability to make something happen that wasn't supposed to happen. And that's why it was so brilliant. 
Well, you can read about it in Amy's piece uh, on the Athletic website. and uh, Shockingly low down the pecking order, only at number 30, though. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of great moments, let's be fair. And I, and I can't wait it's to not see... About, it's about the th- thinking behind this series is individual performances rather than great moments. Yeah, OK. So okay. That's, the, that's the idea. Well, it was a good individual. It was it was a fifteen minute cameo, really, wasn't it? In a way, he didn't dominate the whole game. We were two 0 down. It was going nowhere. Um, but yeah, uh, they are worth a read, and that is definitely worth a read, uh, especially for those of us who were watching it at the time and still can't quite believe what he did for the third goal. Let's have a song to end. Uh, Adrian, what have you got for us? Well, this one's kind of inspired by the the, the picture I saw of the three Gabbies that we've got now. <laughs> like, um, we've got so many Gabrielles at the club, haven't we? So I thought I'll pick a Gabrielle song. Um, and, and there's one that kind of sits really nicely with the transfer window and it's Out of Reach by Gabrielle. And you could apply this perfectly to to, to Rafinha, for example, and, and the way he's teased us before inevitably joining Barcelona. So they knew the signs wasn't right. I was stupid for a while, swept away by you, and now I feel like a fool. <laughs> the lyrics the lyrics yet, has he? The lyrics are great for that for that player that you you kind of thought was in the bag, and it turned out they were a little bit out of reach. So yeah, Gabrielle out of reach is my song. <laughs> nice, uh, Amy. What have you got song wise? Well, on a on a similar similar Gabrielle inspired theme, I've gone for Peter Gabriel. Um, <laughs> we were talking about uh, religious iconography last week, and <laughs> just as a little extra. Um, Peter Gabriel obviously is a quite religious sounding. I'm going to say Peter, Angel Gabriel. And what to make it even better, his middle name is Brian. <laughs> Pretty religious. I know what Well, you're as in there. life of. I know. Thank you. We understand. Yes. I'm sure well, most I people wasn't do. sure for a moment. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, no, so Peter I like Brian that. Gabriel. But the So album by Peter Gabriel was a, a really magnificent album of its time. And uh, there's a whole range of songs could have chosen from that. Obviously, Sledgehammer uh, has a a particular poignancy when we're hoping to sort of smash some goals in. But um, (laughs) I I think I'm going to go for Big Time. I'm on my way. I'm making it big time. Good tune, that. Like that tune. Uh, yeah. I'm having uh, really. It's about your article, uh, Amy, and I'm having my my uh, my feeling when Carnu wh- whacked in that third goal, and it's Wow by Kate Bush. Wow, 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 wow. Unbelievable. Because oh, I genuinely okay. wow, 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 unbelievable. Which I think could have been the commentary. <laughs> Kate Bush was doing the commentary. I think it really would have worked uh, for that third goal. Um, that's it for uh, the podcast this week. Uh, next week, hopefully, more signings uh, to talk about. Thanks to Abby, our producer. Thank you to Adrian and Amy. And thanks to you, listener. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. See you soon. Ta-da. Ta-da.